Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Today we're looking at the investigation into the poisoning of former spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia in the UK town of Salisbury last March. Two Russian men accused of carrying out the attack have appeared on Russian TV to deny any involvement. Katie Martin discusses the latest twist in the story with the FT's Moscow correspondent Max Seddon and David Bond, our defence and security editor. So, Max, extraordinary stuff today. Tell us about the TV appearance of these two men. What did they say about this allegation that they carried out the Salisbury poisoning? Well, this came about in the way that you could imagine the news happens in Russia. Yesterday, Putin was speaking at a conference in Vladivostok, and he was asked if he knew who these two suspects were, Alexander Petrov and Ruslan Bashir. And he said, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, they're just civilians. We hope they will come out to the media and speak for themselves very soon. And so then, within hours, the head of Russia Today says, oh, I just got a phone call on my mobile, as you do, from these guys, because, you know, everyone has my number. And they said, we want to give an interview, but we want to do it only with you. And uh, we wanted to do it in a place where other people can't see us, and there should only be one camera in the room. So, you know, totally normal conditions for an interview. We overlooked you for this exclusive interview, Max. Is that what you're saying? I'm heartbroken, yeah. So the editor of Rush Today, Marguerite Simonian, she seemed thoroughly bemused by the whole thing because these two guys wearing their sweaters, which she later tweeted could barely conceal their bulging biceps. That's a quote. They look completely terrified. And the explanations they had for what they were doing in Salisbury were completely ridiculous. And they were so ridiculous that it almost, in a way, masks the real news here, which is this is quite a change in tack in the way that Russia's been treating this case. Ever since March, you know, six months now, we're past the six-month anniversary of the Skripal poisoning, they just completely ridiculed at an official level, going all the way up to Putin, every piece of evidence, every allegation that was put forward by the UK. Now these guys essentially confirmed a lot of things that the UK put out last week about their movements. They said that they did go to Salisbury. They, in fact, went there twice. It's just that their explanation for it was that they were humble tourists who had been told by their friends many times about how great Salisbury was. They had to go see the cathedral. Bashirov was so excited by the cathedral that he even remembered how tall the spire of the cathedral is. It's 123 meters. So this was the reason why, you know, as you do, they just went to the UK for the weekend and decided to make two trips to Salisbury. And the reason that they made two trips to Salisbury was that they got the train to Salisbury. And despite the fact that it takes about 10 minutes, according to Google Maps, to walk to Salisbury Cathedral from the station, there had been snow. And, you know, as people always do here in Russia, when confronted with snow, if you are a big, tough man, you run away screaming because you are unable to face walking through said snow. It was the slush that bothered them. Yeah, yeah, it was a muddy slush, because certainly that never happens in Russia. It's not like for March and April when the snow starts melting, because there's no real drainage system anywhere in Russia, that the whole country isn't covered in muddy slush. As is well known, Russian people run screaming at the first sight of snow and slush. They're well known for it, yeah. Clearly, they were saying some pretty strange things, but how were they treated by their interviewer? Did she point out some of the holes in this story? You wouldn't exactly say it was a grilling, because there were a few pretty important points that she left out. So 
the obvious thing was that the UK says that their identities are false and that their intelligence officers, they say that those are their real names and that they are humble nutritional supplement salesmen. The UK said that they had passports with serial numbers that were identical except for the last digit, and they were three digits apart. So it's like, you know, in um, which James Bond movie is, I think it's Goldeneye, when there's Agent 006 as well as 007. That was the kind of implication. And they weren't asked about that. She didn't ask them why were there traces of Novichok nerve agent found in your hotel room. But there were a few moments when she herself seemed completely bemused by how ridiculous it was. They were going on and on about how what they were really interested in was, you know, the famous, beautiful English Gothic architecture of Salisbury. And she said, well, you must have taken photos. And they said, of course we did. And she said, can we see them? And then there was awkward silence and then immediately cuts to the next question. So the whole thing was just completely bizarre. You know, in the past, when you've seen on Russian TV, Russian people get caught up in some sort of big scandal in the West and they go on Russian TV to talk about it, like Sergei Kislyak, the ambassador to the U.S., who no one from the Trump campaign can remember having met. This was definitely less fawning and much weirder than these things usually go. It was really bizarre. I mean, it's hard to say which audience it was really targeted at, whether it's the British audience or the Russian audience, but do you have any sense for what Russian people think about this story? I mean, they're not completely naive. What do you think their take on it is? Well, there has been really from the start a kind of two-track messaging system, the way this has been talked about in state media. On the one hand, oh, this is the West, they're out to get us, they want to take the World Cup away from us because the English are jealous. So they made up these completely ridiculous things. But at the same time, whoever did this at the end of the day, this was clearly one of the reasons for doing it in the way that you did. You don't poison someone with a Russian-made nerve agent if you don't want to, with a nod in the wink, be like, ah, you know, we actually really did it. And there was all this stuff on state TV in the immediate aftermath of the poisoning about, oh, well, you see traitors, this is what happens to them. So it works on those two levels at the same time, and people interpret it in different ways. And a lot of people's minds over here, I think it's important to understand, it's not mutually exclusive. These two concepts, that, oh, the West is out to get us and they're baselessly accusing us, but also, <laughs> look what happens to the traitors. They tend not to end very well. David, you've been covering this story from the beginning. How convincing do you think the evidence against these two men is? And what's the reaction on the UK side to the video that we've seen? Well, it's certainly very compelling evidence, isn't it? And it's highly unusual, I would say, for the police to put out that much detail. Clearly, it's a highly politicised, highly charged investigation and inquiry. We've been waiting many, many months for the police to show their hand on it. So when they did last week, it was, you know, it was pretty convincing stuff. There are still some gaps, nevertheless. You know, we don't actually have or they haven't revealed the direct connection between the Novichok and these two suspects, which they um, charged last week. We don't know exactly what happened to the bottle or potentially bottles which were discarded and then found and then led to the tragic death of Dawn Sturgis some months later after the Skripal's poisoning. We don't have any CCTV footage at the moment of the two men arriving outside the Skripal home and applying the Novichok, as the police say they did, to the front door of the house. So there are still some gaps. I mean, it might be the police are holding back quite a bit of evidence. I'm sure they are, that they can't either make public or want to keep up their sleeve for a later date. 
But I think on the whole, it's pretty compelling stuff. In terms of the UK reaction, well, you know, there's bemusement. I was speaking to some security officials earlier who said, you know, this is, again, another classic example of the obfuscation, the lies which are coming out and have come out ever since this whole saga began. And I guess, you know, it goes back to the question Max was dealing with before, which is why do it and what's the sort of rationale? How's it playing with the Russian audience? And I think in many ways in the UK today, in London, they're probably thinking this is the Litvinenko playbook, you know, roll out these guys, put them on TV, almost be brazen about it. It's not going to change an opinion in the UK about why this was done or who's behind it. But in Russia, it might play to that whole thing of we're the victims in this. You know, just extraordinary stuff. But you were talking about the police investigation. But where does it go next? We can't seek to retrieve them from Russia. So what are the chances of getting justice for the family of this poor woman who died? Extremely unlikely. I mean, one person I spoke to today said it's all very well sticking them on RT, but actually, you know, hand them over, do what's right here and let them face justice. That is not going to happen. As we know, it's against the Russian constitution to extradite Russian nationals to a foreign country. So they are not going to be handed over. So I think the UK's tactic really here is just to continue to shine a light on what the Russians, what the GRU in particular, the military intelligence agency have done and been doing around the world with other missions and operations and try and shame them and try to build more international support. You see, that's the key thing for Britain at the moment. After the Skripal attack in March, there were you know a large number of diplomatic expulsions. International allies rode in behind the UK and got behind them. In the months since, you know, it sort of dropped off the agenda a bit. There's other things to worry about. Syria is honing back into view in a big way with a potential assault on Idlib. And I think you know, they want to try and get the US and other allies back on board to try and put more pressure on Russia, whether that's through more sanctions or whether the EU needs to do more, because at the moment, the UK is sort of feeling a bit alone on this, I think. So oddly, it might actually help that British case to rally the international community around what we're doing with sanctions. It could, yeah, it could. Although, again, I think, you know, people in Washington will probably have expected this sort of brazen display, this kind of weird show, almost comic bit of theatre that we saw guys thank you both very much that was katie martin talking to moscow correspondent max seddon and david bond our defense and security editor thanks for listening we'll be back with more news next week but in the meantime if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more ft content take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer